I'd like you to turn to the last chapter of the book of Matthew. It's the first gospel, Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to land. We're going to be there for probably at least a few weeks, if nothing else, just to start there anyway. But that's where we're going to start, is in Matthew 28. And uh, I want to remind you of the two questions that I left you with last week. I'm not going to let that homework go. These are things that you've got to be prayerful about. Number one, I want to throw this out to you. If you didn't write it down last week, perhaps you need to write it down this week. Uh, if you did write it down last week and you've forgotten, guess what? I'm here to remind you. So th- the first question is, is, what do you have for me, Lord, individually in 2019? What do you have for me to do? What is it I need to tackle? What assignment do you have for me as an individual in 2019? You need to be prayerful about that. And then second, in relation to that, what do you have for me to do here within this community of believers at AGCC in 2019? See, the Lord works both ways. He works individually, and then he works corporately as a body. And each one of us is gifted differently, and uh, we are to have an assignment, and we are to have things to do within the body of Christ, and then within our own individual lives and our work. So I just wanted to continue to challenge you with that. What do you have for me, Lord, for 2019? And then what do you have for me within this body? I think it's important that we keep that before us. So with that said, if we could all just please stand. I have a couple of verses that I want us to read together, and then we're going to get into the scriptures. This is probably going to be the longest introduction to the shortest story that you've ever heard, um, but I think we need to start somewhere, so there you have it. Um, We're going to start in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, teach us what we need to know today. Remind us of the things that we've forgotten. Help us to become the things that you need us to be and the people you need us to be. Help us to have an impact on the world that you have placed us in and those people around us that you place in our path. To the glory of the name of Jesus, I ask all of these things. Amen. Um, The new series title is The Church's Mission in the World. And then I changed that because that just is what I tend to do. I, I bracketed church's mission and I put down the word our. Our mission in the world. What is it we're supposed to be about? The church isn't a building, it's people. So if the church's mission in the world is to be impacting the world, that means that we as his people need to be impacting the world. So what is our mission? The title this morning is Go Therefore. Two words that are usually pretty easy to say and a little bit unsettling to understand exactly what they bring about when we want to take a look at them and take off down the road that Jesus is telling us to do here. And what I want us really to focus on is that when God called people to himself, and I say called, he still calls people, but when God called people to himself, it was always for a purpose. It wasn't just because he was trying to gather as many people over and against the enemy, but he always gathers people to himself for a purpose. That first purpose is to worship him. It's to worship him. And then it is to make his name known in the world. We are to worship God and we are to enjoy him daily, the catechism says. But then he tells us here in Matthew 28, go therefore. And that's a loaded two words because he maps it all out in the rest of Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to take some weeks to work through this and what it actually looks like. Because the statement itself works itself out in many different ways. Each and every person he calls is as unique as the community that he places us in, aren't we? I mean, it's a good thing I'm one of a kind. It's a good thing you're all one of a kind. But we are unique as each community that he creates 
and then places us within. The question we have to ask then is, why do we exist? What are we doing here? Are we here just to go from day to day? What is our purpose in this place, in this world? These are good questions to ask yourself, because I ask them all the time, especially at the start of every new year, so I can assess where it is I am, how well I'm doing, how poor I'm doing, what I need to change, what it is I can keep going on with. Have I missed the mark somewhere where the Lord has encouraged me to do something better in any given year? It really does help me to know what my walk looks like with Christ on every given year. and any given moment, for that matter, how am I doing in these things? How am I doing in the things he specifically called me to each year and then gives me as my assignments? I know that sounds like an awful lot, but this is what I think about. It's how it is I, I learn to grow in faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. And, and I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Ask these types of questions. That way it doesn't just become one of these routine things that, okay, I'm his person and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come and take me to the sweet by and by. That's not what we're called to do. It's a really cool song, but that's not what we're called for. See, as people, we always have to do these things. And it's helpful to be reminded and to be refocused if necessary because sometimes we get out of focus on why it is we're here, why it is we exist. Is it just to go from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, from Easter to Christmas, and then Easter to Christmas, and then from year to year, and on and on? So I say this is going to be a long introduction to a pretty short story as we launch off into this series over the next few weeks, because I I want to help us put foundational pieces together. And one of the things that I really want us to understand is I don't feel as though I'm going to be teaching you any divine insights, nothing brand new here. No aha moments where everybody's going to sit back and go, I've never seen that one before. But what I want to do is remind us of the things that we ought to always be remembering. The things that need to be before us that we have to know that we get so used to that we tend to fly on autopilot or even worse, we start to forget them ourselves as we move on from day to day and the tyranny of the urgent begins to press in and we forget about the things that God has called us to. And the elders blessed Lisa and I with a sabbatical this past year. This year, we're into 2019. This past year, as most of you know, and we spent um, pretty much all of that time down on the Cape, walking as many beaches as we could and reading as many books as we could. And in general, just, you know, not doing a whole lot except just really resting and refocusing. We needed that. And in my prayer time, this kept coming up over and over and over again as I asked the Lord, what is to be our focus in 2019 as a community of believers. Because I've done that every year since I've been here. And this is the fifth year. This is the fifth year. And I can go back in my Bible and I can see the verses that the Lord's given me to focus on for the year and what the purpose is for each one of those things. And in 2019, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, just kept coming up over and over and over again inside my head. And it's a loaded statement for something so short. Pretty much the last words that Jesus gives to his disciples, the last thing he gives them is an assignment. And it's, it has a divine imperative with that word go. It's not go home and fish because he maps that all out with three action items, three verbs as it were, that are crystal clear for us. But they work themselves out in many different ways. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. Now, that's known as what? The Great Commission. It's known as the Great Commission, the last big fat assignment Jesus gave us as his people. This is what you're supposed to do. 
And it's pretty clear as much as it is complicated. It's as clear as it is complicated. Go. That's the divine imperative. We can figure that one out. Go. Go and do what? Not circle the wagons, not protect yourself, not make sure that you're safe from point A to point B. The goal in life here for all of us, as Mark Batterson likes to tell us, is not to arrive safely at death, but to have an impact on this world for the gospel of Christ. So when he says, go, therefore, there's something that we need to be doing. And I say that a lot, that we aren't supposed to circle the wagons. I get that. But our instinct is not to go forth, is it? When we are unsure of what the road ahead has for us, is it our instinct to take off down that road? Perhaps for some of you adventurous people. But for most of us, that's not our instinct. Our instinct tends to be to kind of close in around ourselves, circle the wagons, and stay where we're comfortable. We don't want to go into hostile and unknown territory. This might surprise you, but I get very uneasy when I am being led of the Lord to go places I've never been before, to go speak before people who I've never spoken to before, going down to Middlebury College. I haven't done that for a couple of years. But I'll tell you how uneasy that makes me feel when I'm in front of 20 or 30 students, half of whom are international students, and more than half of them don't believe. But they have got a mind that is just curious and a heart that is open and an attitude that is polite. But that doesn't make me comfortable and easy. But if that's where the Lord calls me to go, that's where we need to go. So we need to always remember that the divine imperative is not to go and circle the wagons. It is to go out into the world and do certain things. And that's what we're going to work through over the weeks and the months ahead. Chuck Swindoll tells of this story of the people of Israel standing on the doorstep of the promised land. They come up against the river of Jordan, and there they are. They're looking finally at the land that God had promised Abraham, that he had promised Isaac, and that he had promised Jacob making the deep point within this story that this was already a done deal. The land was theirs. The only thing they had to do was what? Go there for and take it. That was the whole point, was that it was already done. It was already sealed. What did they do? It's not negotiable, as we would say. The contract had already been signed hundreds, if not thousands of years before with Abraham when he said, you were to go and this is what you're to do. The only thing left for God's people was to be faithfully obedient to God's promise that he gave them the land. Step into what you're supposed to do. Go. What did they do, though? Anybody who's read your scriptures and your Bibles and the book of Numbers, they balked. The entire nation of Israel, right there against the Jordan River, froze. They didn't go. Why? It proved more uncomfortable and difficult than they wanted it to be. They probably thought that when they got there, everybody would have been gone. God would have smote them because he's the great smiter. And then they could have just gone in and done their thing. But that wasn't how it was to be. See, 12 spies were sent in. And when those 12 spies came out, 10 said it was impossible because they saw obstacles in the way, and therefore everybody froze. And this is an important lesson for us because there were two people, Caleb and Joshua, who focused on the objective. The objective was take the promised land. You own it. It's yours. Take it. They didn't look at the obstacles. They understood the objective, and they understood the the command to go. And to take that land. But what did the people do? What we always do. They balked. They became very uneasy. And what was the result? 
that entire generation, with the exception of two people, lost out on the promised land because they didn't go and do what they were supposed to do. Now, all that can be found in Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. It'd be really good for you to take some time to read that. It'd be really good to understand some of the lessons that we learned there. Because you see, Caleb and Joseph, the two that believed in the promise for God to deliver in his word, that the land promised would be theirs if they would simply do their part in the redemptive work of God and his world. We learned about that over Advent, that we are to be active participants, aren't we? Broken people, moving God's plan along, being faithfully obedient in a broken world. They understood that, to step into that. See, the church, too, has been given a task, and it's also been given a promise, hasn't it? Go, therefore. This is what you're supposed to do. We are to evangelize the world, and we are to disciple those to whom give their lives to Christ, to take back what the enemy has stolen since the dawn of time when he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the task of the church. You see, God's promise is that he will build his church upon Jesus Christ and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Those are his promises. That too is a done deal. It's not a might happen. It's not a could happen. So I chuckle with all these people who come out with these books that this is the last generation of the church. The church of Jesus Christ is going to die. It's never going to be here again. We're not blah, 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 blah. Really? You might write a book about that, but I can't find a word in Scripture that says that somehow we're going to kill the church of Jesus Christ here in this world. The Bible says it's a done deal. We are to go. It's the same exact thing as the people of God in the time of Israel. Matthew 28 gives us a piece of that promise. But we want to remind ourselves, because I was talking with Lisa on the way down, that I like to do this. Because it's important that we understand that there, there is a, a prophetic schemer and a string that runs from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. That this is one continuous story that says the same thing in many different ways and points to one person all the time. Somebody tells you you don't need the Old Testament, tell them they're wrong. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old. You just can't do it. And the New Testament makes no sense when you think about it. But then you go to the Old Testament, it seems like a story that just kind of hits a wall. And there's a whole bunch of mysteries that are left unanswered without the New Testament. We've got to have the entire Bible. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And it takes a whole Bible to understand the whole story of God. So it's good for us to visit a couple of things to understand that God has always operated this way. Calling a people to himself and then putting them on mission in the world. He never called the people to himself so that they could make cinnamon buns and crumpets and enjoy themselves. He called them to himself, and then he put them on mission in this world. You see, he called the people of Israel from where? Out of Egypt. And having called them out of Egypt, what did they get? He gave them their freedom. He then led them where? To Mount Sinai, where he gave them the law and helped them understand that this is your identity. You are no longer slaves. You are my people. I have called you my own. I've given you your freedom. I'm giving you your identity now in the law. That's what it is I'm giving to you. He turned wanderers into worshipers, and then he sent them out on mission. Go take the promised land. Freedom, identity, mission. It's the same exact thing with the Christian. We are given our freedom in and through Christ because of what it was he's done on the cross. He gives us our new identity because we are now children of what? Children of light as opposed to children of darkness, right? That's our new identity. He then launches us out into this world on mission to do what? To bring people back home. 
The same exact thing the people of Israel were always supposed to do. Take the promised land and be my people for the world was God's command to the people of Israel. It's always been the reason God calls people to himself. And it's the same reason why we as a church exist in the world. We do not exist for ourselves. And that's really hard for all of us to really get a hold of. The church, as this building and how we gather, does not exist just for me or just for any one of you. We exist to bring glory to Him. And then we exist to share with Him. We exist to grow together in trust, in community, and in love one for another because God has put us here as brothers and sisters. But it does not exist for my own personal satisfaction. It doesn't exist for anybody's. It exists to bring glory to Him and bring people to Christ and create a community of believers that brings glory to the name of Jesus. So when the world looks at a church and a gathering of people like us, they say, Jesus is among them. Psalm 2. We visited that when we were taking a look at Herod, that little rascal who wanted to just kill all the babies in and around Bethlehem. But there's a verse in Psalm 2 that we didn't read that's important for us to take a look at. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. If we aren't thinking about the nations, and if we aren't thinking about the ends of the earth, we are thinking too small. Because God says to us in Psalm 2, Ask of me, and I will give you what? The nations. I will give you the nations. God is thinking globally as much as we are to act locally. It's an old Pete Seeger saying, we are to think globally and act locally. So we understand that our actions have an impact on the world, but we have to operate with what's right in front of us and let others do the same thing across the world. It's important. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. It's another text that we visit a lot in Isaiah. It was our opening reading, verses 5 through 7 in chapter 42. I think it's important that we understand this as well. See, this is why it's the longest introduction you're going to get to the shortest story that we have. We'll get back to Matthew. But it's important that we see that there's a pattern going on here. It's not a new invention. And I think it's really important that we see that God's objective is to bring people home. And to do so through people. That's the challenge. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. There it is again. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. We sung about that this morning, didn't we? To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is the mission of the church. This was to be the calling of the people of Israel. This is where they failed. They circled in on themselves. And unless you fit in their mold, you didn't fit. They were no longer a light of revelation to the Gentiles. They closed the doors and let the light shine inward. And that became very dangerous for them. You see, God's rescue mission for the world has been the same since the days of eternity. Again, I'm not teaching any divine new things. But I think it's important that we're all reminded of this. Because you are a part of that plan. Right where God has planted you. Don't look to the horizon on what you could be doing next, but bloom right where he has planted you. 
Get to work for what it is he's asking you to do. You see, this, this all gets lost in the mire of strife, the day-to-day pressures that we have in a day, confusion, arguments, lack of focus, lack of planning, all the things that can get in the way of how it is we can hear and see what God has for us to do at the individual level and at the church level. You see, the plain teachings of the scripture is that God is rescuing the world by calling people to himself. It's not any more complicated and it's as simple as that. The entire message of the scripture is that God is rescuing the world by calling people to himself. And then he takes those people who he's called to himself and he launches them out on the world. And he says, now you go and you bring more home. You go and you bring more home. You see, when Jesus tells the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, as they gathered around him, why it was he was there. He defines for them what I call the Jesus manifesto. This is why I am existing in the world. He opened up the scroll and he reads from Isaiah and it sounds an awful lot like chapter 42 because it comes from chapter 61 and it's Isaiah's pen. But his mission in this world was to show us what our mission is to be by the life that he lived. And it should not have been any surprise to anybody who observed Jesus when he was here. Because he said right at the outset, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It wasn't a divine mystery what was going on with Jesus. He said, look, this is what I'm here for, to proclaim freedom to give sight to those who can't see, to heal those who need to be healed, to bind up the brokenhearted. Consistent theme. Jesus shows up and he says, look it, you love God, you love people, you tell them why. It's deep theology, real deep theology. Love God, love people, tell them why. Very complicated because there's some people who are unlovable. I'm one of them. That's the sentence I sum it up over and over again. We love God. We love people. We tell them why. Why? Because it rolls in together the greatest commandment, what Jesus defined for us, and he ties it into the great commission. Again, no real divine insight. Anybody who reads their Bible slowly can figure these things out. But we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. If the church isn't focused on the greatest commandment tied in with the greatest commission, it has no genuine purpose in the world. We then begin to make what a lot of people like to call the fringe issues, the main issues. And then the main issues become fringe issues. And then the church really has no purpose in the world. And we never want to get to that place. You see, Jesus himself wraps up the story of God's rescue mission in that answer. A lawyer shows up. It's always a lawyer. No offense if anyone's a lawyer in here, but it's always a lawyer. Got to get the language down just right so we know exactly what we're supposed to do. He shows up and he asks for clarification about what is the greatest commandment. Not because he's got some real deep religious thing he needs to get right. He just wants to know what he's got to do and what he doesn't have to do. See, there's always the other side to that coin. We always want to know exactly what we're supposed to do, but we also want to know what else. What I don't want to do. Do I really have to do that? 
How many times do I forgive my brother, Lord? Seven? I'd really like to hit him on the eighth time. What does Jesus tell him? No, that's not how it works. See, so the lawyer shows up and he's asking these questions. He wants clarification on the greatest commandment. Nothing's changed. The simple is always overcomplicated. Moses went to Mount Sinai, got what? Ten commandments. You could count them on two hands. And they're actually ten words in the Hebrew. They're not even commandments. They're just words. They went and took them and expanded them out to 612. Why? Because we wanted to make sure we got the ten right. Sounds like the government, doesn't it? Overcomplicate the simple. Jesus shrinks it down because he understands the heart of a human being. We always want to overcomplicate everything because we need to have somebody define for us what don't really means. And we need to have somebody define for us what do really means. So he simplifies it. He silences the Sadducees and the Pharisees see their opportunity. They move in to see if they can win Jesus over by seeing how he answers this question. So he says this, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He would have been great. He'd have been great if he just stopped right at love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he didn't, did he? He kept going. He gives it to them in two direct and very simple commandments. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. In other words, you can walk out every single assignment that you are given here on planet Earth that I give you in this world through these two commandments. If you love God and you love people, you can work everything out through those two things. But they're hard things to do if we're honest with ourselves. They're very hard things to do. And here's why. Because it's the second one. It's the second one that we all struggle with. It's not always easy to fulfill that love your neighbor piece, is it? Because we can always say, I love the Lord. I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, who of you here can disprove that? You can, though. You see, if you take a look at it this way, love God seems easy if all we have to do is say it. But when loving God is mapped out and seen in this world by the way in which we love our neighbors, that's a little bit of a different story, isn't it? And that was the catch that Jesus had right there. You show the world that you love God by how you love your neighbors. So if you are not loving your neighbors in the way you are supposed to, you have to ask yourself, how is my heart? Where is my heart? See, this is why it's a little bit more complicated than we'd like it to be. would have been much easier if Jesus had stopped, but he didn't. And the lawyer, being a good lawyer, because that's what lawyers are supposed to do, it's not recorded in Matthew. You'd have to go to Luke to get that. He has, guess what, a follow-up question. Because he needed to get a little bit more detail. And he asked the question, who's my neighbor? Because I just need to make sure that, you know, if the bad neighbor or the, you know, Gentile neighbor is my neighbor, do I need to love him? Who does that? I do that on a regular basis. Constantly trying to justify things. Trying to find the parameters on just how far and how much and who we're to love and how it's supposed to look and all of that. And these are all personal growth pieces or what we have to work out in the midst of our calling each and every day and each year as we grow in Jesus. 
These are the things we need to take a look at. We're all called to go. There's no exception in that imperative there. We're all called to go. It's just a matter of where we're called to go. That's the big thing. Where are we called to go? Each one of you was placed in a different situation. Each one of you was gifted differently. Learn to ask the Lord what it is you're supposed to do and not worry about how you compare to somebody else. Each of us has our own assignment and together as a body of believers, all of those assignments work out to our overarching assignment. Don't be like somebody else because then the world doesn't have you. And you are uniquely created and gifted to do only the things that God has called you to do. So when you are to go, you are to operate within that. Always operate within that. So it's in that telling for us to go, God also tells us get to work. Do stuff. Don't just go and wander around. So we look at the greatest commandment just a bit more. I like N.T. Wright, as most of you know. We're going to land this plane here in a minute. He always has a way of summing up passages in a pretty understandable and simple way. He is a little bit English, and Lord forgive me, you know, it's the Irish in me, but, you know, he's a little bit English, so he says things very simply, but he says them in a very long way. But he, he's a good storyteller, and he talks about this particular passage here um, with the Great Commission and then the Great Commandment and looking at how we tie those together. He says the Great the greatest commandment here, he plays it out like a perfect tennis match. Every single serve, perfect. It's an ace. It's a point. Never a fall. Everything's returned perfect. You win the entire love set match without one mistake. He says that's what Jesus did in responding to this lawyer and really solidifying what our mission is and how it is we love God and love people. So N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says that's how the end of Matthew 22 is meant to strike us. It's as if Jesus does this backhand. He answers the question, and then he just launches another one right at him just to really drive the point home. This is how Matthew 22 is meant to strike us. The answer the opponents couldn't question was followed by the question they couldn't answer. Which is the greatest commandment, they asked. Jesus' answer was so traditional that nobody could challenge him on it and so deeply searching and challenging that everyone else would be challenged by it. Let me read that again. Jesus' answer was so traditional that nobody could challenge him on it, and so deeply searching that everyone else would be challenged by it. You see, Ten Commandments, the first four are how we love God. The last six are how we love people. So when Jesus summed it up in two, shrinking it down from 612, Nobody could argue the answer. Well, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of course you are. There's commandment one, two, three, and four. And the second one is just like it. It's no less great. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. There's commandment five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. All right there. So traditional that nobody could challenge him on it because he was absolutely scriptural and right. But it was so deeply searching that each one of us is challenged by how does that work itself out? How does that work itself out? And then it was Jesus' turn. He throws this at him. Is it David's son or David's master or perhaps both? As if to confuse the guy. But he wasn't confusing him. He was challenging him even more. 
You see, they'd never asked that question before, N.T. Wright says, and they certainly didn't know the answer, even though it was standing right in front of them in flesh and blood. See, they're asking all the right questions, and we can always ask the right questions, but if we aren't looking for the correct answers, it could be standing right in front of us, and we could miss it. So when we go, who does God put in front of us on a given day? What assignment does he have for us on a given day? Go into all the nations. See, ultimately, as we close here this morning, every single thing that we look at circles around this Jesus of Nazareth, doesn't it? Everything. Jesus took those two things, love God and love people. He has this great commission. Follow me on this. He takes those two things and he instantly circles it around himself. Who's the Messiah? Is it David's son or is it David's master? Because I'm him and you got to work that out. Every single thing circles in and around Jesus of Nazareth. Everything. He walked out before his people for three and a half years what it meant to be on mission for God in this world. Luke chapter 4. He walked out for us what it looked like to love God and to love your neighbor and not be in conflict or violation of the law when he met the woman at the well, when he encouraged Matthew, when he met the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, when he raised the widow's son from Nain. He showed the world what it looked like to love God and to love people. And he never violated the law. In fact, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all of the prophets. Why? Because he said so. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the law. You're fulfilling all the things the prophets said. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize people, teach them. Teach them what? Teach them every single thing that I have commanded you. Love God and love people. Verse 18 Wraps it around himself again. He starts this whole thing out. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Given to me. Not given to you, although he does give it to him. I could have the worship team come up. Because when somebody says this, this is the thing about this Jesus of Nazareth. And I think it's good that we get this into our spirit because this is the challenge in this world is that Jesus is just another teacher. He's just another person in a long line of people. And he's not. When he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that's a pretty arrogant boast if it's not a true statement, isn't it? That's about as fat-headed as you can get if it isn't true. All authority had been given to Jesus. He turns around and he gives it to this ragtag bunch of circus clowns and says, go out into the world. Go out into the world to do what? To fulfill the will of God the Father. What is his will? That we make disciples. How do we make disciples? We teach them about Jesus. What happens when they find Jesus? We baptize them. You can have each of them individually, but they seem to all work together, don't they? That's what we're going to be learning over the course of the next month or so, what it looks like to go and make disciples figure out why it is we're called to be baptized what does it look like to teach all the commandments that Jesus taught us because sometimes we overcomplicate the simple and sometimes you make very simple the complicated 
So we want to map all these things out. And we're going to circle it around two words, two very simple words, discipleship and evangelism. Because that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 28, discipleship, evangelism, what it looks like to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. And then what it looks like once they find Jesus to help them become healthy, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people. Let's stand. Those who can gather up here in the front and in the back for prayer, I would appreciate that. that this sermon exactly lends itself for some deep challenges in prayer and yet at the same time I think we all ought to be challenged in what our, what our walk looks like before him and I would say as we are before the Lord and we close in this last song one of the most important things is at continuing to grow together as a body of believers learning to grow in fellowship, praying together, breaking bread together as we have this morning. Sharing prayer needs with those who have committed to pray with you, whatever those prayer needs are. The scriptures tell us that this is what we're supposed to do. It's it's part of discipling one another and growing together in the fellowship and the knowledge of who Jesus is. I just want to challenge you this morning, if you're struggling with anything, you're concerned about anything if you're dealing with sickness or pain or whatever we have people in the back and we've got folks that are up front whose heart it is to pray with you and just lift up your needs before the Lord so I want to challenge you as we close in this last song if you're in need of prayer trust the Lord trust his people and step out and lay before him what it is you need him to hear not because he doesn't know it but because your faithful obedience will help you grow and he will answer your prayer he promises that